This is an ABC podcast. Welcome to the Philosopher's Zone with me, David Rutledge, and welcome to part one of a three-part series on housing. You might think that housing is a slightly left-field topic for a philosophy show, but as we're going to be hearing over the next three weeks, housing is not just about buildings and design and interior decoration. Housing is very much a philosophical issue. And as anyone concerned about the current housing crisis in Australia will tell you, it's an ethical issue as well. So over the next three weeks, producer Dallas Rogers is going to be taking a look at some of the philosophy that underpins our concepts of rent and at Aboriginal land rights and property development. In this program, though, we're looking at housing through the lens of feminist care ethics. We're going to be hearing from Emma Power, Associate Professor of Geography and Urban Studies at Western Sydney University, and we begin with Cathy Mee, Associate Professor of Cultural Geography at the University of Newcastle. We do our housing research in many ways, but a really important way that we do our housing research is by talking to people in their homes. And being in people's actual homes is really important because often, rather than just uh, a conversation, people will take you around and they'll show you things that are important to them. So they might show you pictures of their family. They might show you that a rose bush that they planted on someone's important birthday. Being actually in the place helps us understand how people make home. Emma, so what have you learned? about housing by talking to people about their housing needs in their own homes? What what do people value about their homes? So look, people think about and value their housing in lots of different ways. So most people value their house as a place to bring up family. It's, you know, it's where we look after ourselves and our families. It's where we go to cook dinner, to wash our clothes and sleep. It's where you get ready for the work day or the school day. And so for these reasons, the home is widely understood and it's valued as a site of social reproduction. And for many people, these are things that take place over a really long period of time. And so the home starts to be connected with these memories of family life. You look around your house and you remember family celebrations or you see photos that remind you of friends and family. You know, you might record your children's heights on the doorframe every year. And so over time, your home comes to be written into your sense of family history um, and your sense of who and what your family is. Many people also value their house as an investment, though, as a place that makes money. And in fact, in Australia, we've seen that housing prices have actually risen much faster than incomes in the last um, few decades. And for many people in Australia, their home is actually the largest asset that they've got. And we really see that playing out at a national level. Um, Property prices rise. People tend to think that they've got more money and they're more happy to go out and spend their money at the shops and on other goods and services, which in turn stimulates the economy. But of course, these different ways of valuing housing also often overlap. So many people think about their house as being both a home and an investment. And often that investment is seen as a legacy that can actually be passed on to their kids. So it's a way of sort of securing and caring for family across a series of generations. So is this form of care a productive form of care or is it unproductive? Yeah, so look, what really concerns us um, is that although the more practical or everyday connections between housing and care are really critical to everyone in society, no matter what their wealth is, 
What we're seeing in Australia and, and in other parts of the world is that it's actually the economic values of housing that are the focus of government policy. And we see that sole focus as being incredibly problematic. What it's doing is seeing governments acting to secure housing prices, which really only benefits people who are homeowners. And it, on the other hand, what it's doing is shutting a whole lot of other people out of home ownership. It also is ignoring um, the much more practical and everyday needs of people who aren't homeowners and particularly lower income households um, who are increasingly living in poverty and they're struggling to meet their everyday needs because of the escalating cost of housing. So look, if we look in Australia right now, um, over 40% of Australian households, including renters and home buyers, are actually believed to be in housing stress. And in some parts of the country, it goes up as much as 70%, particularly around places in you know West and Southwest Sydney, where you've got households who are struggling with housing affordability and living costs. And that's only likely to increase as um, interest rates go up. And renters are facing particular challenges that go beyond that. So, of course, there's the affordability challenge, but there's also a whole host of other issues. We've got things around property quality and standard in particular. So, you know, in 2020, one in five renters actually reported problems with dampness in their home. More than one in five couldn't actually keep their home warm when it was cold. And some 30% had problems with mould in their house. And so in short, what we're seeing is that there are things going wrong in the housing system in ways that are making it really difficult for many households to actually meet their basic needs and stay healthy. We think that to really understand what's going on um, and to think about what might need to change, that we need to think about the care values of housing. That's about how people meet their care needs through housing, uh, whether it's through actually living in housing or whether it's through housing as a financial asset. Okay, so let's get into this idea of care then. And I guess in simple terms, care ethics kind of encourages us to think about how care networks are essential to how we maintain and we reproduce society. So care ethics encourages us to think about how we sit in relations of care and that we need to take these care networks seriously. So how does housing fit into this idea of care relations in society? Yeah. So look, in big picture terms, our argument is that we're seeing this shift in Australia and around the world from um, liberal philosophies of care, um, which are increasingly being inflected into these neoliberal philosophies of care. What that means is that care has is, is long been seen as being an individual responsibility, but there's this growing sense that the way that you should meet your care needs is by going out into the market and buying goods that, that suit you, that will meet your care needs and those of your families. And we can trace this through the sort of political evolution of welfare and housing's a really important part of that in Australia. So if we go back to the sort of um, welfare state in the 1970s, for instance, we see that social housing, um, you know, government provision to the most disadvantaged households was a really important way that we ensured the equity, the equality of all households, regardless of income. But as we move forward into the 90s, we really start to see the erosion of that, the idea that we should meet our care needs through the market, including our housing needs, starts to become more and more important in the political conversation. So we see a few things happening. We see governments starting to reduce funding of social housing. 
we see growing rates of sort of disrepair in the social housing system. And we also start to see all of these new ways of providing social housing. So instead of directly providing social housing, we see things like Commonwealth rent assistance that basically are subsidies to private landlords. Um, Yeah, sure, they help low-income households to access the market, but they're also paying the mortgages of private landlords. So it's really about propping up the private market there's this idea that what you're doing when you when you give a household Commonwealth rent assistance, while it's an extremely important payment in the housing system that we have at the moment, one of the philosophies behind it is that you're actually teaching individuals how to take care of themselves. You're teaching them how to look after themselves by buying goods. You're talking there about relations of care, but in many ways our housing system in Australia is organised around liberal ideas, things like private property private property rights and the freedom of the market. So how does care ethics speak back to these individualising tendencies in liberalism? So I would say that what care ethics do is they help us to see the care ethics that exist within liberalism and neoliberalism, and they also help us to critique them because they recognise that the the individual who's at the centre of liberal and neoliberal theories of care is actually, they don't exist in practice because care is a relational practice. None of us can survive on our own. That's why we live together in a society. Um, The other thing that care ethics does is it offers us an alternative. It gets us to think about how it is that we live, um, how it is that we care and how we might care better. One of the things that um, we found when we have started to look at these ideas is that we've started to see that, sure, humans, people care for one another. That's what a society does. But we also care with the places that we live in. So we actually care with our housing system. Our housing system sets the parameters for how it's possible for us to live. Um, if we're all living in private dwellings, then we're going to be more likely to care, practice care within our individual households. If we lived in more communal dwellings, we might be able able to share care across households. So that's just one example. And it starts to raise questions for us about what a caring housing system might look like or how might a housing system be organised if we wanted to make sure that everybody in society, regardless of their income, was able to meet their essential care needs, was able to afford food, was able to be comfortably warm um, in winter, be able to be comfortably cool in summer, was able to take care of family members that they needed to. Our housing system actually um, makes this more or less possible for different groups of people. And so care ethics prompts us to raise these questions and to think about the alternatives. So, Cathy, how are you using the idea of care? I guess our big inspiration for our work on housing and care is feminist theorist Joan Tronto. And she did a bunch of work in the 1990s that recognised care as a relational practice and a universal need. So what that means is that care is about how people interact with each other and that we all need care. Now, often when we're talking about care, it's just the care needs of the vulnerable that people focus on. But actually, everyone needs care. It's just that more affluent people are able to pay for that themselves. So care researchers like Joan Tronto have talked about the ways that we need to think about how care is essential to life. 
And working with her colleague, Berenice Fisher, Joan Tronto came out with a definition of care that I think is one of the most highly cited things I've ever seen. Um, And the definition is that care is an activity that includes everything that we do to maintain, continue and repair our world so that we can live in it as well as possible. That world includes our bodies, ourselves and our environment, all of which we seek to interweave in a complex life-sustaining web. And for us, housing is critical to how we care for that world. Well, I guess all of that sounds good in theory. So we're all in relations of care. All these relations of care are critical for our lives. It's how society functions. Um, But I do wonder how these care relations play out in practice. Uh, Emma? Although Joan Tronto's ideas about care can seem kind of obvious, you know, care is a practice that we do all need to survive, that is not actually how care is always seen. So Joan Tronto makes this point that every single political theory has a theory of care, whether it's implicit or explicit within that theory, because it's that is the theory. Care is the theory of how needs are met. And in Australia, it's Western liberal philosophies that have really been dominant in shaping mainstream understandings of care. And what's particular about liberal philosophies of care is that they understand care as being an individual responsibility and one that is met within families and households. And care is also seen as being a private practice, something that's not a public concern. And that means that care isn't really publicly regulated, except in instances where uh, particular groups might be seen as vulnerable or in particular need of care. And so we might think, um, for instance, of aged care or child care, um, or in instances where care is seen as being vastly inadequate or maybe abusive. At the same time, we see in Western liberal philosophies that People who are seen to not be adequately meeting their their own care needs, people who are seen to require care from others, they're positioned as being somehow problematic or as needy or as having failed in that essential responsibility to having um, to look after themselves. At the same time, they're really seen as being at risk of becoming dependent on the care that they're receiving. And we can see this playing out in our welfare system. So we hear Uh, politicians falsely talking about welfare recipients as people who failed to meet their needs, um, which really is just a way of ignoring the many structural factors in the economy or practices of discrimination that, that put people in the difficult positions that they're in. And we can go back to Tronto again, who traces these beliefs, these liberal philosophies of care to the Enlightenment and to this idea that while people who are autonomous of others are free, People who are dependent on others um, were seen to sort of lose the ability to make judgments for themselves. They were seen to end up at, at the mercy of people that they were dependent on. And so safeguarding that sense of autonomy, even if it's a false appearance, it's a really central focus of liberal philosophy and the politics that's informed by those beliefs. Hmm. Interesting. So what is the connection between liberalism and neoliberalism or new liberalism? How are they connected? Neoliberal philosophies hold on to the idea that care is an individual responsibility, but they see it as a need that we should properly meet through the market. And so care is not seen as this sort of interpersonal practice where we take care of one another in practical ways, but instead it's seen as being a good that we can actually buy and sell as we need it. And so in this theory of care, we see this really huge emphasis placed on having a job because it's through having a job that you can earn the money to buy the care that you require. 
And again, those who are seen to need help from others, whether it's um, welfare or some other form of help, are seen as having failed in their essential responsibility to care for themselves. You're in the Philosopher's Zone with me, David Rutledge, and this week, the first in a three-part series on the philosophy and ethics of housing. Producer Dallas Rogers is talking with Emma Power and Kathy Mee about housing and feminist care ethics and the ways in which these play out in the context of capitalism and the market economy. market theories do, um, what kind of economic thinking within a capitalist system does, is that it assumes that everybody's equal in the face of the market. So it ignores the, the structural factors that might impact on the income that people have. It ignores the discrimination that people might face that might um, impact on their ability to get a better paying job or that might mean that they actually um, don't get access to the rental property that they've got because the landlord doesn't like the look of them or doesn't like the language that they speak or, or the religion that they practice. Um, and so what care ethics does is it helps us to see um, not just the relations between people, but the inequalities that our society creates that shape people's access to the market in different ways. Part of what the market does, I think, is distance people from the idea of care. So part of the point of the market is to turn really important relationships between people from relationships between people into transactions, which is quite a different thing. So Tronto, she talks about all sorts of aspects of care, but partly they're about understanding other people and what they need. They're not about reducing those kinds of things to some sort of monetary value. And thinking about housing through a lens of care as opposed to market transactions is about trying to put that value back in. What is this actually enabling people to do? So when people talk about all sorts of government policies, not just housing policies, they often talk about them in terms of vast sums of money. This policy costs $150 billion or this policy is going to cost $130 billion. I'm actually not so interested in the big sums of the budget as I am in what will this actually enable people to do in their lives? Will it enable them to be able to sleep safely for the night? Will it enable a woman who's suffering from domestic violence to get herself somewhere safe? I'm not so concerned with the number value as the care possibilities that are associated with a policy. And that's about what people are doing in not just a monetary sense. So there's a tension here between the sort of market-based values of housing and the social values of housing and, you know, the values of other social services. So let's get back into the ideas of liberalism and neoliberalism. How do these ideas intersect with our housing system and our, our ability to care for and care with and create caring relationships within and through our home? So look... 
Neoliberal philosophies that see care as a market good are also reflected in our housing system. And what we see within neoliberal thinking is this idea that individuals are responsible for meeting their needs privately through the choices that they make in the market. And so increasingly in liberal welfare states like Australia, the US and the UK, we're seeing housing being positioned as one of those choices. And so people are assumed to be working within the private housing market to buy the housing option that best suits their household needs, including their care needs. And it's playing out in housing policy in really important ways. So because care is understood as a private practice and home as a private space, the capacity of households to actually practice care and to meet their care needs within housing is largely seen as being beyond the scope of what should actually be regulated within housing policy because it's assumed that households will look across the array of options and that they'll choose the housing type that that best suits them. And we can see these ideas playing out in a few key ways. So one of these ways is light regulation in the private rental sector. Um, In Australia, rental housing standards are only really minimally set out and compliance is basically the responsibility of landlords. Tenants are assumed to be renting because it suits their needs and there's this sort of implicit assumption that if their housing doesn't meet their needs, they'll either negotiate with their landlord or they'll just move on. And that's, of course, not not accurate at all. I mean, in our work, talking to low-income households, we, we talk to people who are really struggling at the edges of the private rental market they're struggling to get any form of secure housing. They're much more likely to be living in substandard housing and they often talk about landlords who are just simply unwilling to repair or upgrade the property. Another way that we see neoliberal ideas playing out in practice um, is through this idea that because people are seen to be making choices around housing, that there's this sense that if people can't afford housing, maybe it's just because they're not trying hard enough or they're making the wrong choices. And we can look back to Joe Hockey's pretty infamous comments from a few years ago that if people want to buy a house and they can't afford it, they just need to get a better job. Or there's the idea that um, buying smashed avocado on toast is the key barrier that aspiring first home buyers might be facing when they're accessing the market for the first time. Another way that we see these ideas playing out in the housing system is through the idea that housing is a commodity or a place where we can actually store wealth. And this way of valuing housing isn't exactly new, but what we find remarkable is the extent to which it's becoming just absolutely central to the political, social, cultural valuing of domestic housing around the world. And so What these ideas are doing is they're seeing housing repositioned not just as a place to live and care for yourself and your family, but as an investment, as a store of wealth, something that you can store up, that you can trade, that you can spend as you need it. But of course, uh, and what really worries us, is that this is something that only homeowners have access to. And so what we're starting to see is this real growing split in the ways that um, housing is valued and a subsequent social divide in how care needs are actually met through housing. So how are people's care needs being met through housing? You seem to be suggesting that many of our care needs are actually being met through the market. I was going to say, if we step back for a minute... um, We can see that people are meeting their care needs through housing in two main ways, really. So the first is just simply through living in a house where people benefit from what we can think of as being the dwelling values of housing. 
The second way that people meet their care needs is through the more financial aspects of housing or what it is that you can do with housing as an asset. And we can think about those as being the asset or investment values. Now, both of them are about care, but they're not equally accessible to all people. So both renters and homeowners can benefit from actually living in a house. So in theory, both of them across tenure benefit from these sort of care-connected dwelling values that we can um, see existing in housing. But the second set of values, those um, investment values, they're only available to homeowners. And there's two parts to how these actually work uh, within the care practices of households that own their own home. So the first one sees home ownership bringing this kind of uh, welfare benefit through helping to smooth income across the life course. So the idea is that people will have a mortgage and they'll pay for it during their working life. And then when they retire, they've paid off the mortgage. They've got this low cost or, you know, dwelling. They only have to maintain it. They don't have the kind of ongoing costs. Um, And then they've got freed up cash that they can spend in retirement income, age pension income calculations actually assume that that's what's happening. And that's why we're seeing this growing number of retired renters who are just living in absolute poverty in Australia. The second way that um, the investment values of housing benefit homeowners, though, is through being a place to store wealth. And so housing's a really distinct kind of commodity. A lot of the things that when we buy them, um, they just they lose value pretty much as soon as you walk them out of the showroom. But housing is different because it operates as an investment that can can go up or down in value and we can access that value as we need it. So we can store it, we can sell the house and recoup that value or we can activate that value in other ways. So we could lease the property out or we could get a reverse mortgage And then we can use that value to actually fund our care needs. We could pay for things that we need or that our family members need. We could even, um, you know, support generations of a family through that value. And that's also the basis of um, what's often called asset-based welfare. So that's a thing where housing is actually being positioned by governments around the world as not just a place to live, but as an asset that people can use to fund individual uh, welfare needs. And so we might um, look, for instance, at how people are having to sell the house or draw on a reverse mortgage to fund aged care. So I guess feminist care ethics can help us understand the realities of our housing system, but can they help us fix the housing system? Look, governments talk a lot about infrastructures. They talk about railway systems and roads and and infrastructures are really things that help us to do stuff. Thinking infrastructurally about housing is really powerful because it starts to get us to think about what it is that government already does within the housing system. So governments are quite comfortable talking about healthcare infrastructures, uh, road infrastructures uh, that they fund and build or put together with various consortments. But there's this idea within housing that individuals are doing it, that people are working hard and they're buying their housing. And what that makes invisible is all of the ways that government actually sets up the infrastructure that is our housing system. So governments regulate how we build housing, the the physical material design of housing. They regulate where housing is located. Uh, They write housing policy, which regulates how we access housing, how we can live in housing. They also regulate the ways that we distribute housing. So they regulate 
the market, the private market, and they regulate distribution through social housing. These are the fundamental infrastructural pillars of our housing system. And by starting to talk about housing as an infrastructure, what we do is we start to make those things visible and see what governments are already doing. And then we start to see that what those things are doing, sure, they're helping some people, but they're also incredibly harmful for a growing number of people in the country. And that's the entry point for being able to say, right, that needs to change. What do we need to do to make this housing system fairer, more just and more caring so that everyone can meet their needs? Emma Power, Associate Professor of Geography and Urban Studies at Western Sydney University. And we also heard Cathy Mee, Associate Professor of Cultural Geography at the University of Newcastle. They were speaking with producer Dallas Rogers, and this has been part one of a three-part series on housing. Next week, rent, which has a really interesting philosophical history going back to the French Revolution. So I hope you can join me here in the Philosopher's Zone. I'm David Rutledge. See you next time.